Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Banks. And thank you for listening, David. Yes. How you doing? Uh, I'm on it. I mean, as you know, because we're talking about it off mic, I'm very stressed out right now. Yeah. But update. Okay. Natalie and I have adopted a dog. How exciting. Uh, at the time of this recording, we don't have her yet. We met her last weekend. We're okay. going to pick her up. By the time you're hearing this, we're picking up. We'll, we'll have picked up our dog. So Little uh, Stacy. Uh, no, her name is Darla. Darla. She's not... Um, that's the name that the foster mom gave her, hmm. but I'm fine with it. Now, apparently everyone from my 13 year old nephew to my 70 year old mother-in-law hears Darla and thinks of the little rascals. I hear Darla. I think of Julie Benz's character on Buffy, the vampire slayer and angel, okay. my favorite vampire in the, in the Buffy verse. Um, and so that's why I was like, Darla. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep that name. It's a I'm, cool vampire. I'm happy to say happy. I'm content to say I didn't think of either one. Uh-huh. Instead, I thought, wait, what's isn't that the character from Beef's? No, that's Daria. That's what was happening in my oh, head yeah. just now. <laughs> Daria so, would be a funny name for a dog. Yeah, um, <laughs> just a really downbeat. Yeah. Um, so anyway, very, you know. Congratulations. Very stressed out in life, but very happy about uh, being a dog owner once again. Yes. Um, all right. So uh, we have a fun topic and a guest to get to. So let's pay some bills. All right. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a handpicked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $8.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Currently available on Mubi is Vim Vendor's Pina. I want to make sure I'm saying that right. It's not Pina. No. Okay. Uh, When I uh, typed this out and sent it to myself, I uh, put accent marks to the side. Um, So uh, Pina, which I've not seen. Did you see it? Are are you kidding me? You can find my review at (laughs) BattleshipRetention.com. Oh, I should have checked beforehand. Um, Yes, I did. I did see it. Um, I saw it in the... uh, It saw it in 3D. It's a 3D. It saw it in 3D in the Real D screening room, which is probably... Oh, yeah. Probably about the most uh, ideal place, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, judging a book by its cover, at least. Um, uh, yeah, I really liked it. We would like, uh, I would like to do a profile someday on, on Vim Vendors. His okay. career is fascinating to me. Um, and he's one, of those, he's one of those directors, and we've talked about it before. I think we did an episode about it a while ago. Um, directors who make narrative films, and oh. maybe that's kind of how they started and then moved into documentary and they still do the occasional narrative, but they're kind of known maybe not just as much, but they kind of have this second career going yeah. uh, as documentarians. Yeah. I really want to see that Pope Francis movie. I didn't see it, the, Which, his, but his last, Vin Vendor's last what's documentary, the name of it? uh, <laughs> Pope Francis, a man, something, <laughs> a man, that's that's just what it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So anyway, uh, so Pina is an Academy Award nominated documentary, uh, and it's a profile of Pina Bausch. Okay. Okay. That sounds right. Uh, it is a fitting tribute to the iconic dancer and choreographer, a spectacle of movement of bodies and motion on stage and off. So you can check out Pina at Mubi, and there's a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com. That's M-U-B-I.com slash Battleship to redeem now, or go to BattleshipPretension.com and click on the Mubi ad on the left-hand side. Uh, this episode is also brought to you by the Dice Enthusiast Presents podcast. This podcast follows 
as a group of friends trying to make it in a world where it seems like they have no control of the dice rolls and their lives keep getting more complicated as they just try to finish a year-long board game. I don't know what board game it is, but... If I had to guess, I feel like it would have to be Risk, right? Didn't we do this? Probably, This yeah. bit already? I think, <laughs> I think so. we already did this bit. I feel like Clue, maybe Clue Master Detective, <laughs> which has, you know, like eight suspects. Um, anyway, so, uh, so in their uh, final episodes, which I believe are uh, posting in the next uh, week or two, um, the friends find themselves lost in, in depression on vacations, trying their best to help out other friends, even though they have no ability to help themselves. And once a revelation of one of the friends having a secret life is out in the open, the year seems to crumble apart, and one of the players makes a terrible choice in an attempt to solve their problems. That sounds very dramatic. I have no doubt that it is, but also hopefully fun. Um, certainly in a podcast format, I feel like it would be fun. So if you want to check that out, you can uh, catch up with it at uh, DiceEnthusiast.com or click on the ad at BattleshipPretension.com on the left-hand side. And I want to tell you about TweakedAudio.com. You see, TweakedAudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. And what's more, Tether and I use them each and every day of our lives. Uh, today, Tyler, I was listening to uh, the new Meek Mill album. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he was, uh, uh, you might know Meek Mill from having been to prison or from having get, gotten into a very public beef with with Drake, which has not been squashed. Okay. Um, thank God we can all breathe easy. Yeah. Um, but uh, his new album, which I'm already forgetting the name of, is, is really terrific. I, I feel like... Um, uh, a lot of hip hop is about what it the the experience of what it's like to live or grow up in impoverished uh uh minority neighborhoods and the crime that you know, that um that that sort of blossoms there if you will um and a lot of very good albums about that i feel like this one is about not only what it's like but what it does to a person why it's like that there Mm -hmm. and it's it's a really interesting and very thoughtful album it's kind of seems like maybe meek mill spent his time in prison uh deep in thought um and came out with an album that i'm really impressed with i was never a huge meek mill guy um and uh, drake definitely won the beef as i'm sure we all uh, Obviously, agreed. yes. Um, now david in my experience which admittedly is limited uh when it comes to hip-hop um a big undercurrent is how legit somebody is. Okay. Especially in regards to like, you know, giving up. Yeah. Um, I don't know what you were asking. It's, I'm referencing too legit to quit. Oh, see, all. I thought you were going to, okay. To me, I feel when I think about hip hop, I think about people who are telling you what their name is and what <laughs> exactly. they're there to yeah, say. Exactly. Um, They've got a statement to yeah. make. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, it sounded great at my tweakdarty.com earbuds. You can find those at a low, low price at tweakdarty.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please, I implore you, go to tweakdarty.com and use the offer code pretension. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. 
Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Uh, Tyler? Yes? Um, right now, as we are recording this, we are in the midst of Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time you're hearing this, it's probably over. Okay. This episode will post on the last night of Hanukkah. Uh, but we do a Christmas. Movie. It's the final gift. Uh, I that's like to right. Think. Yeah. This is the final. This is the capper. Yeah. Um, it's the best one. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I will we'll ask our, our guest if it actually goes that way. Yeah. Um, the last thing is the best, right? Uh, makes sense. Yeah, I guess so. Um, but we do a, we do a Christmas themed episode every year. Mm-hmm. And so, this year I was like, it was the first day of Hanukkah and I was sitting there, uh, going, thinking, what are we going to talk about on the episode in four days? Because that's how, that's a long lead time for us. (laughs) Sometimes, sometimes we're coming up with episode titles the day before. Um, anyway, um, and I was thinking we should do, we should talk about Hanukkah movies. Mm -hmm. Well, there really are, there are almost none. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, and there's eight crazy nights. Which and I then didn't there's say. that uh, you're not missing anything. Yeah. Then there's the one scene at the end of Call Me by Your Name last year, um, and then there's a couple others that I found. But I was like, okay, maybe we should just sort of generally do uh, movies that are seen as Jewish movies. And I, I thought that'll be a good topic. And then I immediately thought, well, Tyler and I can't do that alone. Um, so I asked my wife, uh, and she couldn't make it because mm-hmm. she's actually at a Harmar super, Harmar superstar Hanukkah concert tonight. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, we got the next best thing, uh, as far as an authority on the, on the subject goes. Um, uh, it's an interesting way of what do you what does our guest think about that phrase? Let's ask longtime friend of the show, Julie Sesnovich. Hello. Or should I say Shalom? Uh, um, why would you say that? Uh, <laughs> you'll learn. You'll okay. learn soon. So, yes, I was raised Jewish. Um, and I don't know. I think Natalie told me she maybe didn't have a bat mitzvah. Is she, that correct? She decided not to. Well, Her I older did, sister did. So I don't know. Maybe I'm not such sloppy seconds. I'm just saying. I guess what I'm saying is. Top of the heap. From, that was a subjective statement. Next best thing. Right. In which the first best thing is my wife. Yes, no, I understand. <laughs> so I think I'm yes. not going to apologize That's uh, for putting her in first yes. uh, in first place. I won't take it personally. Okay, yeah. <laughs> good. Um, so, uh, happy Hanukkah. Thanks. Um, I actually, I think, maybe learned it was Hanukkah from you telling me it was. Because we saw each other on the first day of Hanukkah. Yeah. Yeah, so that was admittedly news to me. For the first um, night, yeah. yeah, because for those who don't know, Hanukkah is on the Jewish calendar. So it's the same time of year every year on the Jewish calendar, but the Jewish calendar does not align with the what Gregorian calendar? Whatever we use That's the one I in use. the modern world. <laughs> so it's at a different time every year, you know, according to that I calendar. I just use iCal. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> sure. Um, that works too. All right. Uh <laughs> Um, what about the Marie calendar? Um, anyway, <laughs> you know what time it is? It's time for pie. <laughs> um, to your question, Tyler and my family, we did it best gifts first. Okay. Um, I've heard it going both ways. The problem is that eight days is a long time to be doing one thing. So we would always kind of forget by the end. We'd be like, is it still going? And like, sometimes we wouldn't know. I have, I have heard that from, and yeah. I've heard comedians 
mm-hmm. talk about that. Uh, I have had Jewish friends that have said much the same thing. Yeah. Like around five, day five, yeah. like, oh, right. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. you're like, I guess this you're going, going to work, you're going to school, you're going to soccer practice, you're living your lives, and you're like, are yeah. we still doing this? We had a thing like... I don't know. Like you put on the wall and you'd like put a little a little candle for every night, like a but a it was a menorah but like a fabric one. So we could help keep track that way. So we'd like look on the wall and be like, Oh, two nights to go. But still, yeah. I don't know. That's how we did it anyway. If by the way, the nature of this topic is such that I feel like anything I say or anything I ask oh, I'm judging is you. going to be wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's um, fine. So it might this question might be callous. No, I don't honestly, know. I would rather people just like engage with me in like an opening curious way other than like weirdly passive aggressively sniping at me or like making weird judgment like if people just ask me honest questions i'm never gonna be mad about that okay because so. i've been that person before where like i'm the first jewish person anyone's met and they like oh, get out all their questions at once so i'm used to it <laughs> it's fine uh so along these lines do you think if your family had done it the other way and best present is last, I feel like your family would have been more keenly aware <laughs> right, and sure. enthusiastic about, hey, eight nights, here we go. Yeah, I mean, probably, I mean, my sister and I would have been keeping better track yeah. for sure if the good stuff was at the end. But yeah, generally, the breakdown for us was like three or four nights of legit presence, and then it just was all candy and socks okay. from there on out. Um, so people would always be like, people celebrated Christmas be like oh you're so lucky you get eight nights of presents I'm like cool how many gifts do you get on Christmas they're like 15 I'm like okay well who's coming out on top here (laughs) we're capped at eight like I do remember uh comedian Lewis Black talking about Hanukkah and saying that like you know you get like slacks or a pencil and then he goes it's a back to school holiday (laughs) and I remember thinking that was uh very funny but having no frame of reference beyond what he was saying would you say that's so like socks and candy yeah I mean it Eight nights is a lot. Um, I mean, we would also go to like extended family. So like there'd be more gifts that night. But the the interesting thing about Hanukkah is that it's only a big deal in America. And the reason for that is because when Jewish immigrants came here, look, life was hard. You know, they're coming from the old country and they were trying to adjust. So on top of all of their other problems, their kids would look around, see everyone else celebrating Christmas and having a great time, mm. and feel terrible. So the parents are like, were like, uh, I, I don't know. So they just made Hanukkah a presents holiday so that these immigrant kids wouldn't feel so terrible. So it actually has like very little religious significance. Mm. So they just turned it into like mini Christmas so that these immigrant kids wouldn't feel so bad. So that's why it's yeah. interesting that it, you know, everyone's like Christmas is so commercialized. I'm like, you know, it's really commercialized <laughs> as Hanukkah, honestly. Um, I was going to ask, but the, uh, the, we don't just celebrate Christmas in America. Wouldn't that have been the case in other parts? Yeah, but it would have like the ratio would have been so much different. Like if you're talking Eastern Europe, there's going to be way oh, bigger Jewish populations than in America. I see. And so. I think it's, it's possible that maybe Christmas is more, <laughs> maybe <laughs> Oh, something funny just happened. Yeah. Uh, that maybe, uh, Christmas is more visible here in so far as receiving things. Yeah. Um, could be. you know, it's talking about the idea of like Hanukkah being commercial and Christmas being commercial. Like, well, Probably one is because the other is, uh, yeah. kind of thing. And again, it's because you know, if they were in their 
countries they'd been born in, it might have been easier. But having just moved to a new country, that's traumatic. They just wanted to give their kids some presents. So, Well, here's the most important question. Yep. Have you seen Eight Crazy Nights? I haven't. Oh, I wow. Have I'm the only person at the table who's seen it. Tell me about uh, it. I Is saw it any good? In the, no, it's not good. Okay. Um, it's a very... It's Adam Sandler, and it's not the good Adam Sandler. It's full of uh, really lame and gross, like, gross-out humor. Yeah. Um, and he does of, multiple voices, right? Uh, is that a call? I saw, I saw it in the theater. Like, oh, wow. The weekend it came out. You couldn't wait. Uh, no, because um, of one of my good friends in college uh, was a Jewish girl, and I had mentioned it was coming out that week, and I was like, oh, I'm interested in that, and she was like, Oh, let's go. Like she, she hadn't, she didn't know anyone else who was interested in seeing it. And I was like, I wonder what that'll be like. And so we, uh, uh, we went together. Um, and, uh, I, I really hated it, but I don't remember that much about it except that it's like, uh, yeah, it's a holiday movie with a lot of like feces jokes. Uh. I mean, like I respect him for trying, I guess, uh-huh. but yeah. The um, argument then makes the, the argument then goes to like, was he trying? He well, did a thing. Sure, he did. Yeah, it's not necessarily the same as trying. I do all kinds of things. I don't put any effort into them. Well, yeah. to get us into the topic, which is getting away from Hanukkah and the movies, uh, I think uh, Adam Sandler is responsible for a much better Jewish movie, which is "Don't Mess with the Zohan," which is a movie that I think is terrific okay. uh, and a really underrated late period Sandler movie. Have you guys seen "Don't Mess with the I Zohan"? Have not. No. Really? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you know, uh, I'm not going to... Sorry, I haven't seen that much Adam Sandler. I associated um, him with mediocre film at best for a wait, long time. Uh, I'm sorry. Have you seen Billy Madison? It's a masterpiece. I have seen it, yes. And yeah, I'm going to say Billy like Madison's anything... Amazing. I'd say like anything like 98 on. Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore, which has a couple moments. Um, hey, you know what? I think a lot of people our age actually prefer Happy Gilmore, which I never really understood. Because Billy Madison's the crazier one. It is the crazier one, yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's the one with the big <laughs> with six foot tall penguin and the and the clown who has just been lying in his own blood for a while. And then yeah. during the song, that's when he wakes up and says, "Hey, kids, it's me. I bet <laughs> I you thought that, that I was dead, dead. but when, but I, when I fell down. over, I just broke my leg and got a hemorrhage in my head, and yeah. then laughs maniacally." Uh, yeah, Happy Gilmore didn't have that shit, and yeah, I bet exactly. Zohan doesn't either. Although um, I heard it was not terrible. No, Zohan, but Zohan he plays a Mossad agent, mm-hmm. and John Turturro plays is a like a Palestinian terrorist. Mm-hmm. Um, so real fertile comedy ground <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> there, sure. but it actually gets to a lot of, it gets to a lot of really interesting stuff. And I think sort of, um, playfully pokes at stereotypes of, um, not necessarily Jewishness per se, but specifically Israeli stereotypes mm-hmm. and, and, and Arab stereotypes, uh, as they are understood in America. It's just, and Mariah Carey's in it. So sure. a, it's got a lot of things going for it. <laughs> I was going to ask a question until the end there. And then I uh, <laughs> feel like that's a whole other uh, line but, of thought. Like, there's a thing like, um, John Turturro is like a, I'm trying to remember. He's a, so he's like a terrorist leader, but also he's got, he's always talking about like Bluetooth and pagers and cell phones. Cause like all of his relatives, own like pager stores in New York city, which is like, I guess sort of like an Arab, uh, stereotype, okay. like, like very specific stuff. Okay. Um, All right. And you know, comedy comes from specificity a lot of the time. Guess so. uh, I like to make generalizations myself, but that's fine. Um, um but I, I don't going, want to uh, just talk about movies that I'm the only one who's seen. Well, I was going to ask, 
having brought up, you know, uh, Zohan there, you don't mess with the Zohan. Um, I was going to ask like, cause I forget exactly how we're defining this, like well, Jewish movies right. or depictions of Judaism. And if that's the case, obviously in many ways, that means there's going to be a lot of overlap between depictions of Israel but not a hundred percent either. Like I know, like the American Jewish experience is very different right. than the Israeli Jewish Jewish oh, experience. Yeah. So. Um, well, Jason Blum learned that. <laughs> uh, um, he sure did. <laughs> um, no, but that's uh, to to get to your question, Tyler, of how are we defining this? I kind of didn't define it when I asked Julie because I yeah. wanted Julie to define how, what it meant well, to her. Yeah. It's interesting you bring that up because I so I recently did twenty three and Me. Right. So I got my results back and it said 98% Ashkenazi Jewish. And I was like, wait a minute, that's not a country. Mm-hmm. What happened? Hmm. So then I looked at all the things you can be <coughs> and they're all countries and then Ashkenazi Jewish. And I was like, why is that? Like, that's a religion. But it turns out, and this is their wording, the Ashkenazi Jew lineage is so genetically distinct from other people hmm. that they count it as an ethnicity. So I'm not religious. I really never was. I was raised in it. As the saying goes, I was vaccinated at a young age, so I never caught the real thing. Hmm. But <laughs> I, I can't outrun the ethnic part. It's literally in my DNA. And so I kind of included both. I like movies where there's the religious aspect. But again, it's a race of people. So like there are certain characteristics, obviously genetic, but obviously kind of cultural that play a big part. And some are like bad stereotypes and some I think are accurate. And it's kind of like this whole big, beautiful mishmash. There's also, so within Judaism, there's four major denominations, which really the main difference is just degrees of like fundamentalism. So Orthodox is the most stringent. It includes Hasidic Jews, but they're not the same thing. And then conservative is people who was like, look, we know you'd love to be orthodox, but it's too much work. That's fine. And then Reconst- the time? And then reconstructionists are people who say, look, we know you'd love to be conservative. It's too much work. Who's got the time? And then reform is just do whatever you want. So those are the four main things. So it's like there is a pretty big spectrum within that. So there's also kind of a weird thing happening with Jewish identity now where people are just abandoning it in huge numbers in America Mm -hmm. because kind of for the first time we haven't like Jews are not being persecuted on a major international level in the ways they used to be. So suddenly people are kind of looking around and instead of like just clinging to their identity because they've been persecuted, they're like, you know what? Maybe this isn't for me. Mm -hmm. Um, They marry Christian people. They start celebrating Christmas and then they're like, "Eh, I'm good. So like, I know that like, so this is the fifth category, you and my wife. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Cause you know, again, it's, we're ethnically Jewish and we're culturally Jewish, but we're like, yeah, the religion's not for us. And I know that like, leaders within the religious community think this is a huge crisis like guess try to guess how many like what percent of the u.s is jewish i wrote it down i would like your guesses okay uh you can define it however you want all right so like if what do we get like if i'm whoever's closer like what do we win respect Um, all right you know what i'll take it uh, i'm gonna say nine percent okay i go seven it is between 1.5 and 3. I was wow. closer. Because <laughs> um, the thing is, the amount of Jews has stayed about the same, but the population of the U.S. has gotten bigger. Sure. So 
it is, by that logic, it is kind of decreasing. Um, because, you know, marrying out of it is a big part of it. And, no. you know, it's also, I think my generation is the first generation not given an ultimatum by our parents. Because, like, my parents and, like, everyone I know who's Jewish, their parents, like, our grandparents told them, if you marry someone non-Jewish, I'll disown you. Right. Um, and they usually obeyed. But, like, <laughs> my generation were like, well, see you later. So that's kind of stopped happening. So that's another thing. So it's like... We're basically at this kind of weird moment, I think, where there's a lot of kind of anxiety about where it's at, and I think that kind of feeds into some of the movies and stuff on my list. So that's just a little primer for you. Okay. Um, to go back to the different categories you were talking about, right. Orthodox and Hasidim have the specific clothing, right? Orthodox less so. So it's kind of okay. a thing where like all Hasidic Jews are Orthodox, but not all Orthodox Jews are Hasidic. I see. Okay. Orthodox is just a much broader category. Hasidism is actually only about 150 years old, I think. It was kind of like Judaism was at a crossroads where some people were like, we need to adapt and become more modern. And then these other people were like, or hear me out. <laughs> yeah. We turn the clock back. So it was kind of a more recent thing. Okay. Relatively speaking. Did you see... Um the documentary one of us no yeah it's very upsetting yeah uh about uh new uh i think the one they focus on is a new york community but they're not all new york communities that are so insular that uh they're the one woman who left the community left the community because her uh husband was abusive to her and the i don't know what you'd call them the elders the ruling sort of like they're like yeah they're like we would have we would have dealt with him or whatever, but the real crime is that you called the cops. Yeah. Like her going outside of the community was a bigger crime than him yeah. abusing her. Yeah. Menashe, uh, is oh, it's a right. marvelous film. Did you yeah, see I it? I did. I actually have a subsection on my list for Hasidic films and okay. that's on it. Oh, that's there's fun. also Felix and Mira. Yeah. I didn't see that one. Unfortunately. Um, uh, cause that's uh, Montreal, which yeah. people I think in America don't think about, but as a very sizable Jewish population. Yeah. In fact, my wife, my wife's family has uh, a lot of relatives in Montreal. Yeah. I think it's in terms of countries that have the biggest Jewish population, it's Israel, us, then Canada. So, huh? I had no idea, which kind of just makes sense. Cause Canada has a whole lot of people. I don't think I knew that either. I thought there was like, I don't know, like. 1800 <laughs> but Canada has a lot of people but they're all like at the bottom well like, true. Yeah. like coffee grounds that have settled <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. sure they would love sure. to be compared that way um, so uh, but yeah Menashe it's, it's it's I love it because it's just such a it's it's a glimpse inside a, commu- a, a community within the U.S. that I imagine many people, including myself, I mean, I knew that it existed, but I didn't know t- that, like, to, to what degree they did things on their own. They handled yep. things on their own. And you, because Minash is about this this father who means really well but his fa- his his wife has died and he's kind of a screw up in in some ways and so like the community has said like well look you don't like a single man cannot raise a son obviously so. and that's a rule that's not just like they're being judgy they're like yeah. no you literally cannot and so it's but he still loves his son and hasn't and it's not abusive or anything like that but and it's just fascinating that like they they handle things in house and so not to compare them to the mafia, but the idea of 
no, you don't step outside this. Mm-hmm. Like that actually is. And it's, there's like a, a certain degree of reassurance. Like, no, 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 we would have taken care of it. Like, it sounds very, I mean, who knows how they would have, but like, yeah, the movie doesn't seem very, uh, uh optimistic. About sure. It. Sure. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's the, fascinating. The me. interesting thing about Menashe too, is like one of the, the most notable features of that community is the rigid gender divide. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I have some other movies on my list that talk primarily about the female experience within that community, but Menashe focuses on the male experience, but also focuses on how that gender divide maybe isn't always great for men either, because like he wants to be able to take care of his son and everyone's like, not until you remarry. And there's also, he goes on, um, a few dates in the movie to find a new wife. And one of the women he goes on a date with is like, you Hasidic men are like pathetic because you go from being spoiled and coddled by your mothers to immediately being spoiled and coddled by your wives. And you can't take care of yourself. You can't take care of anyone else. And it's just sad. And like, he wants to be a good father to his son, but he doesn't know how because he's never had to. So he's, you know, obviously like the men in that culture make all the rules. So it's a little hard to feel too bad, but it can screw them over too. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it seems like, and the nature of who he is, like he does seem, and I have such affection for the character right? and I can relate to him in a lot of ways. Uh, he just doesn't have a lot of smarts and in regard, he's not stupid, but like he just doesn't have a lot of common sense and the guys in his community, it's like, Minash is not a guy making the rules. Like yeah. he's very much a person that just has to abide by what other people say. And so like, I just, it's such, it's a, it's a very funny movie, mm-hmm. but boy, is it depressing. <laughs> yeah. And it was like non-actors. They're all real Hasidic yeah. Jews. You know, I think he went to the premiere and he said it was the first movie he had ever seen, which I don't think that's an actual rule, by the way. Yeah. I think that was just his own life. Fascinating. Um, but on the female side of the spectrum, there's a documentary from this year that I just watched called 93 Queen, which is about a group of Hasidic women who form an all-female volunteer ambulance service. Because, so in Brooklyn, the Hasidic Jews have their own ambulance service. Hmm. Um, and own, like, police, because yeah. um, in that dumb movie, Fading Gigolo, <laughs> uh, with John Turturro again, and Woody Allen, um, Leah Schreiber oh, yeah. played a member of the, yeah. whatever the police are called. Yeah. I don't remember. I think it's Matsola or something is what the ambulance corps is. So basically there's a rule that Hasidic women cannot touch anyone, any man other than their husband, their entire lives. This includes a handshake. This is no go. So then they're like, okay, cool. So can we join the EMTs so that when women are in trouble, we can touch them? And then the EMTs were like, no. They're like, okay, that's a problem. So this woman, this fascinating woman, who's also a lawyer and later a judge, formed this group on the side. And there was a ton of pushback and they tried to stop her. And it's almost like, in this community now, it seems like there's almost like this women's lib movement happening that kind of mirrors what happened in the greater U.S., you know, in the 60s and 70s, where they're like, well, why can't we do this, though? And it's the same arguments. It's like, well, your kids are going to grow up to be terrible, and who will cook dinner, and all the, <laughs> these, literally these same arguments that, you know, the rest of the country did 50 years ago, and they're like, because we just can, and they were good at it, um, so it was really, it was really cool. It was a really inspiring documentary. Check it out. Oh, what's it called again? 93 Queen. 93 Queen. Um, also from this year, Disobedience. I don't know if either of you saw that. Yet. Did you? No. No? Um, 
that is in the London Hasidic community, um, and it's about two women who have a forbidden romance, because as you can imagine, homosexuality is a no-go in that community. Um, it's very good. I won't spoil anything about it. So it's... Sorry, I didn't realize that it's a movie about Jewish lesbians in London directed by a Chilean man, right? Correct. <laughs> That's nice. awesome. Yeah. No, it's really good. Um, Rachel Weiss and Rachel McAdams are really good. And Alessandra Nivola, who plays oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. the husband. Um, but yeah, it's it's the same thing of like, this community has all these rules and people are like, but Why? Like we want to do this other thing, but still be devout. Like that's the unifying factor in all these movies is they're like, we're not trying. I mean, obviously in one of us, it's a different story, but for Mm -hmm. the most part, these people are like, we don't, we still want to be religious. We see no reason to leave that behind. Why can't we just also have this other thing? So that's kind of the, you know, issue they're facing, I guess. Um, well let's change gears to maybe some fun stuff. Okay. (laughs) Um, Let's talk about, um, well, you know, I think uh, I'll tell a story about a guy I went to school with probably one of the first Jewish kids that I remember being friends with as a kid. His name was David Altman. Shout out to David Altman. I wonder how he's doing. Um, and so there was like, uh, one day at school, I, you know, I was getting into movies and I had just watched, uh, Fiddler on the Roof the night before and not even thinking about like the you know, the fact that he was Jewish. I was like, hey, have you ever seen Fiddler on the Roof? And he was like, David, I'm Jewish. We've, we've all seen Fiddler on the Roof a million times when we were kids, which is funny because my wife has actually never seen it. I've um, never seen it. Really? Yeah. Um, but I want to go, what, what, are there movies, obviously, apparently not Fiddler on the Roof Sorry. for you? Uh, maybe it's just this Altman family who was forcing their kids to watch Fiddler on the Roof at least once a year. Um, it's, it's a good movie. Anyway, um, are there do you have like positive childhood memories of watching movies um, that would be considered culturally Jewish? Um, that's an interesting question. I, I know that in Hebrew school, so they wanted to show us stuff in Hebrew school, but again, it's kind of a limited selection of a things that would be relevant and B things you can show kids. So we watched the 10 commandments, the fifties one, or at least most of it. Cause that's very long. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, there's a lot of like biblical movies that like they're not explicitly Jewish because they're like, oh, well, like same Bible the Christians use. So it's not really like kind of depicted as being an explicitly Jewish story. Um, the Rugrats Hanukkah special was in heavy rotation. Oh. <laughs> we watched that at Hebrew school as well. Um, I didn't actually. So I don't have a memory of watching this, but I feel like I must have an American tale. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I definitely saw the sequel, Five Goes West. I know for a fact I saw that one. So I probably saw the first one. I don't remember it, though. So I looked up the plot synopsis, and I was like, is this real? <laughs> Not only is it real, it was like one of the highest grossing movies oh, yeah. of the year. I With, loved that movie when I was a kid. Yeah, I watched it all the time. And Were you like comprehending older, it on the correct level of like the immigrant Jewish experience? No, no I, I took not. it. Okay. Oddly enough, I took it more as, as Russian. When it's I not was, not that right but i mean when i when you watch it now right i realize like oh geez yeah this is like yeah super jewish yeah and I, I believe it was produced by steven spielberg yeah. yes uh but it's don bluth don bluth yeah. yeah so of course it's gonna be dark and Weird. creepy and something like i shouldn't be watching this yeah so i didn't just read like some fake synopsis like this is really the movie that exists oh yes yeah. okay yeah it's, you should okay. watch I it i remember being i remember okay. being really good Probably better than All Dogs Go to Heaven, which I also watched a lot as a kid. Speaking of Don Bluth movies, which is a movie about cartoon dogs murdering each other. 
<laughs> so I did actually want to, speaking of, of cartoons, I was watching, uh, there's a hey, crazy nights. <laughs> yeah. I, when I earlier, when I said I didn't see it, I was just lying. Okay. Um, no, there's a, there's a YouTuber that I watch who, uh, breaks, who kind of talks about like, the original, like the origins of uh, Disney movies, like the stories that mm-hmm. inspired them, and they're much much darker. And sure. uh, but he was talking about uh, the Three Little Pigs, and he was talking about the Disney uh, version of it. And at one point, the Big Bad Wolf, and he goes, he goes, so the Big Bad Wolf disguises himself as, <sighs> like, and he lets out a sigh, and it cuts to boy, like a like Jewish peddler, and it's and granted the wolf has dressed himself this way. Like, so he's dressing in a costume, but it's just like the big nose and like a big beard. And it just, and it's kind of a creepy looking image. And I just thought like, and then when you look at some of the depictions in like the star Wars movies, and I know people have said with, um, uh, like Lord of the Rings, uh, like the dwarves and such. And so like the depictions that aren't, that aren't officially Jewish, but could be seen as like coded Jewish in like fantasy and kids films and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. The banker goblins in the Harry Potter series. That's a very very, uh, problematic. Yeah. I actually looked up because I was curious. I was like, you know, what were kind of like early depictions of, you know, Jewish people in movies like it was a lot of that. It was a lot of, you know, they put a big nose on them and a big beard and they'd have them act really scheming and conniving and be thrifty. But they wouldn't they would rarely say they were Jewish, but like everyone knew what was up, mm. basically. I mean, I love the David Lean uh, Oliver Twist. Oh, but and I love Alec Guinness as an actor. Boy, oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, that is tough sledding, especially when even right down to him saying Oliver, like Oiva, like Mm -hmm. he might as well be saying like Oive. And it's just like, oh, man. And they never officially say that that's what's going on there. But it's very obvious. Yeah. Guys. <laughs> no, I we're can, doing I can exactly pivot. what I didn't want to do. Part though. Of it. This I know. is part of it. I can pivot. Watch me pivot. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So in in looking up movies from that early time, I found out some other interesting things. Like a lot of movies about um, the Jewish experience in the 30s and 40s intertwined it with the Irish experience. Mm. Like there were a surprising number of movies where a Jewish person and an Irish person wanted to get married and their families were like, I don't know about this, but they all come around at the end. <laughs> like six, there were like six movies at one time that were that plot. And I was like, Oh, okay. But it kind of makes sense. Cause for a while, those two groups occupied kind of a similar position in, yeah. the, you know, the American hierarchy. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Also, there's a movie called taxi, sorry, taxi. It has an exclamation point. Nice. Um, from the thirties with Jimmy, Jimmy Jimmy Fallon? <laughs> Jimmy and, Fallon and, was in a movie called Taxi. And Judd oh, Hirsch, well, obviously. it's Jimmy Cagney this time. Okay. Um, but he actually, there's a whole scene where he speaks Yiddish. And the reason for that is that Jimmy Cagney was fluent in Yiddish in real life because he grew up in like New York tenements and he just had Jewish neighbors. So that mm. was kind of like depicted in a fun way. Like in the movie, he just like sees a neighbor and he's like, hey, and they just start talking. So it was just very oh, casual man. because like a lot of New York culture was this like melting pot where like, that would kind of happen. So 
That's fun, right? It's like when Santa Claus speaks sign language in Miracle on 34th Street, right? Exactly like that. I think in the original, I think it's like Swahili or something. And then in the new oh, one, it's, the, it's sign language. But yeah. it is a really nice scene, yes. Yeah. And I feel bad. I don't I don't mean to, to immediately go negative, except... It has been negative in yeah. some, in in certain ways, and then in other ways. It goes well, this a is why way. I like I organize not that we have to do this, but I organize my list chronologically just to kind of show sure. the evolution. Because spoiler okay. alert, it gets a lot better okay, the further good. you go through history. Um, also, something from the fifties. So this movie is not from the fifties; it's a documentary from two thousand nine about the fifties. But it's called "You Who Misses Goldberg." I don't know if you've heard of it. Mm. So. Basically, there was this woman named Gertrude Berg who, like, was Lucille Ball before Lucille Ball was Lucille Ball. She had a show called The Goldbergs. It was a huge hit on radio for, like, 15 years and then a huge hit on TV for, like, 10 years Hmm. that was about a Jewish family. Like, it was not coded. They were the Goldbergs, not to be confused with the modern sitcom. (laughs) I know there's currently a sitcom Um, called The Goldbergs. There is. No relation, though. Um, But, yeah, and they would just, you know, they were fully Jewish and, like, they would be shouting at each other out of the tenements and it was about New York life. It was, like, the most popular show in America for, like, years. Hmm. And it's kind of surprising that it's forgotten. But I guess because it was right before I Love Lucy, that did maybe kind of sweep it away. But she won the first ever actress Emmy. Um, And it was, like, a huge part of culture where, like, this Jewish family was being beamed into everybody's homes, like several nights a week. So that was just a really interesting story. Um, there's also, so a little bit into the sixties, Barbara Streisand was a big turning point. Honestly, honestly, I think, um, because before that there had been a lot of depictions of Jewish women as like matronly, as like annoying, as like victims, but she came along and she was like very funny, Mm -hmm. very sexy, Mm -hmm. very like outspoken, but like in a cool way. Like I've recently started watching Barbara Streisand movies and I know I'm a late adopter, but like, guys, she's awesome. Do you know this? Do you know this? Okay, good. Just making sure that we all stand Barbara at this table. Yeah. Um, My my parents liked uh, musicals. My mom, Still does. My dad doesn't anymore because he's not alive. But um, uh, uh, but if one of the, he were though, I yeah. bet he I bet he'd love him. But they showed us Funny Girl at a very, at a very young age. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, and I so I've always liked that. And then I eventually discovered discovered the in my dad's record collection the album where she's got the Superman T shirt on, which is very sort of sexy because she's not wearing <laughs> she's like pulling it down over her underwear, not wearing the pants. I just that was a, a, a milestone for me in my <laughs> development. And then eventually I uh, 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 saw What's Up Doc. And, yeah, uh, What's Up Doc and the way we were too. Mm-hmm. To put you know to pair her with Robert Redford, who's like this paragon of like you know this American boy next door. Yeah, but like they're great together and like super sexy, and she's you know very iconic in that role. I think it is interesting some of the stuff that she had to overcome, though, especially in the way we were. Um, I remember in my uh, one of the film criticism classes that I took, we studied like the. Uh, when like theater critics started becoming film critics, they brought with them a certain cattiness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it, I think, it, I think good it was, thing that went away. Yeah. <laughs> uh, RIP. But, but that's, well, I mean, I guess it does like, there are still people to do this, but like, I think it was John Simon, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. It might've been someone else who just commented on the way we were. And I mean, he just like, just ripped into Barbara Streisand's looks specifically commenting quite a bit on her nose. Yeah. And 
And I was just like, that's, and you read it. It's tough because when you read it, it's done in a, in a particularly kind of, a particular kind of way where you're like, this feels like it should be fun to read because yeah. it is, it's very clever in its ugliness. Right. And, and so like it's, which is, which is one of the reasons why just to connect it to like a star is born, like that. I don't know if in the earlier films, like the, the potential, unattractiveness of the the female like I don't know if that's a plot point it is early I think in all four of them it is I mean obviously like you know they're not Jewish in the other ones but I I think because it's Janet Gaynor and Judy Garland who both throughout their careers were kind of people commented that they were not traditional beauties but it is a plot point yeah so yeah it's and it's it's so it's interesting that like for Barbara Streisand like as a star and then into the films themselves Mm -hmm. Uh, like that was her looks which can be which could be described and I think probably were as very Jewish like that that is a big part it just couldn't be removed and that people so openly commented on it I thought was interesting but it became like a like a a triumph a triumphant thing for her like it's something that she not merely wasn't ashamed of but also kind of steered into and and so oh, like, she's I'm living not, her best life she's yeah. out there she's cloning her dog she's doing her thing <laughs> <laughs> barbara's great uh yeah the guilt trip was a good, good underrated movie i have a very long monologue about the guilt trip so here's oh. my thing about the guilt trip i'm glad you like it because i feel like no one else did um I related to it because I was like, this is the movie that captures how my mom and I interact, (laughs) especially when we travel because it's worse. (laughs) But like, so the thing that I related to about it, because like, you know, the stereotypes of Jewish mothers, okay, they nag, they like stay around the house a lot, they're overprotective, they're shrill, all these things. We know the bad stereotypes, but there are also stereotypes that like, once you get them like out of the house and into the world, there's a lot you wouldn't expect. Like, they're very curious about things. I'm talking about my mother. I can't uh-huh. speak to every mother, but I notice these are common traits. She's very curious about everything. She's very open and, like, likes talking to people. And she kind of has this, like, astounding belief that, like, it is fair game, if you are polite, to ask anybody for or about anything. <laughs> Sometimes that's super embarrassing. But sometimes she just gets what she wants. Like... Because so I feel like in the guilt trip, they explore that dynamic where her character will just like go up to people because the plot is that um, they're taking a road trip. It's uh, Barbara Streisand and Seth Rogen, uh, mother son duo. And he's like trying to pitch this product he's trying to sell. So they're like at some like event. And they're she's like, like trade shows. Conventions yeah. That he's going and she's to, yeah. like, no, I think they come to you. And he's like, mom, shut up. That's not how it works. And she's like, no, just go talk to them. And like, I was like, oh my God, this is my entire childhood. Like uh-huh. this is this exact dynamic, but it's also kind of amazing because like I went to a restaurant with my mom one time. She took me out to lunch in college. It was a nice day. So she's like, let's sit outside. I'm like, I don't know. Like, I feel like when you sit outside, sometimes they forget about you. She went right up to the host and said, if we sit outside, will you forget about us? (laughs) And I was like, mom, but I will tell you, we had fantastic (laughs) service, but she wasn't being mean. She wasn't being passive. Great. Like they just go through the world. Like, why not? Uh Like, it's just this ethos of why not that I feel like not a lot of movies get into. And I just thought the guilt trip did. 
I, I really like that. I thought it was a very sweet movie and yeah. very, very fun. She enters a steak eating contest yeah. in that movie. Yeah. Like, because <laughs> she's just like, all right. And like, yeah. This is off topic because it's not a Jewish movie at all. But if you like under, like, uh, uh, under uh, not underrated because this movie hasn't come out yet, but uh, undervalued Anne Fletcher movies. The new Netflix movie Dumplin' is definitely okay. worth your time. Okay. It's a very fun movie. Okay, also very sweet. Um, the guilt trip. I did have to double check. They do not explicitly say that they're Jewish, but like you don't they cast Seth Rogen in Farsersen for no reason. <laughs> it, it was written by Dan Fogelman based on his own experience, and he's Jewish, so I put it on my list just um, for the record. Yeah, I remember. Uh, talking uh not talking listening it's on some of the like seinfeld commentaries that the costanzas their name is costanza it's an italian name yeah they never say that they're jewish but they're clearly like you've got jewish comedy writers modeling right. this family dynamic over uh, like so they came up in the commentary that they never specifically said that the costanzas were jewish but uh that everyone wrote and acted them that way yeah yeah another thing like that because when i was looking up there are a lot of movies like that where no one says it the last names aren't but it's like Look, you know, um, one of which is the entire works of Neil Simon. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I recently saw the Sunshine Boys for the first time, and they don't say anything about being Jewish. The last names are not Jewish, but like they are. Like uh-huh. it's it's kind of in their mannerisms and how they speak and how they live. Um, it's a very endearing movie. I recommend it. It is quite nice. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, I mean, we're gonna have to get there at some point. Woody Allen. Uh-huh. Let's just mm-hmm. dive into it. What's up? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, oh, is he? Yeah. <laughs> you know? You know that you mention it. <laughs> um, Especially that match point. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, he's kind of the biggest name that comes to mind here. I know it's kind of not fashionable to talk about him right now, but it's kind of hard to avoid. And I think he does, you know, he was kind of one of the first major filmmakers to really, like, get into it uh-huh. in... Um, kind of unexpected ways. Um, I think Annie Hall is maybe one of the more prominent examples of that because I love the scene where he goes to meet Annie's family and it's like going a little weird and like it cuts to their point of view and they see him as a Hasidic Jew. Um, (laughs) Because here's the thing. I love Scott's family to death. I do. I love them. They are wonderful people. But when I first met them... We didn't mention yet for the new listener that your husband is uh, editor-at-large Scott Knight. My husband is editor-at-large Scott Knight. Um, I kind of felt like that a little bit at the beginning because I don't think a lot of them had maybe met a Jewish person before and it was a, it was a new experience and I could tell they were kind of looking at me a certain way but also like before you get to know someone that's all you have to go by yeah. it's just like oh oh she okay um, can I tell you a story that I think I've told you I'll tell a listener a story um, one year now I came back to St. Louis for the Christmas and we were all big family gathering at my uncle's house and uh, at some point in the night my cousin like pulled me aside and he was like hey when your girlfriend walked in earlier, I said, Merry Christmas. Is that, is that okay? Should I apologize? <laughs> uh, yeah. So well-meaning, I oh, guess. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, I, it was never like, there was no hostility or anything like that, but it is just like, oh, this is a new element. Now I met Scott's family at your wedding and mm-hmm. I do, I do just want to say thumbs down. Okay. Um, but Look, everyone's s- entitled to their opinion. Now, okay. I do not mean to equate the experiences, but Jen's family is Catholic. 
I am not. And so I do have a couple of stories. I'll tell one because it is so cliche <laughs> that it feels like something out of a sitcom where uh, we went to, I believe, a Christmas Eve service and uh, communion was uh, had there at the end. I didn't know that uh, there are things I have to say. So I went up and... Wait, but also you're not baptized. I do. And, or I, confirmed. You're not supposed to be going I up to the Eucharist. I do what I want. You're, I'm saying you're supposed to stay in your seat. That's why, like, Natalie won't come to church because she's like, I'm not sitting there... When you all get up and I have to sit there, she feels like she has like just a big like star of yeah. like over her head <laughs> yeah. sitting there in the So <laughs> well So you're not supposed I, to be taking Eucharist anyway. I do what I want. <laughs> all right. Uh, but anyway, so I went up and uh, and they said the body of Christ and I and I heard that people were saying things, but I didn't hear that I have a, a thing I'm supposed to say back. I still don't remember what it is. Uh, so instead I just said Thank you. <laughs> and just took it and walked away. Mm-hmm. Tell me about it. Yeah. My, my, I hear you, buddy. No, I think you just repeat it. I think it's just the body of Christ, the body of Christ. Okay. I think that's right. what yeah. My right? first time at church went also a little shaky because, so something not a lot of people know, or I thought everybody knew, apparently not, is that, so in Judaism, the two most important holidays are Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. It's mm-hmm. the Jewish New Year and the Day of Atonement. So everybody goes to temple on those days. So you know how you have like a twice a year Christian, it's Easter and Christmas, mm-hmm. while twice a year Jew is Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Same deal. They get them out of the way a few weeks apart. Yeah, bang them out. Yeah. So <laughs> here's the thing about temples is that you can't just walk into them. Most of them around the country, no matter what kind of neighborhood it is, it's like a country club. Like you have to be a member and then you have to reserve seats for high holidays. Like you have to, a lot of them are like universal studios, like buy a day, get a year free. Like you buy your tickets. So you get like, you know, good seats for the high holidays and you can go to the temple the rest of the time. Um, so I just thought that's how church was. So the first time I went to midnight mass with Scott, we're driving over and I'm like, so did you just get the tickets online? He th- has no idea what I'm talking about. So he's just like, what? I'm like, oh, so you just get them at the door, I guess. He's like, what? And I'm like, oh, well, we're not like, we're kind of cutting it close. So like, what if they're not going to listen? He's like, what? And it just went on for like 10 minutes until I finally explained to him how temples work. And he explained to me how churches work. Turns out guys, you can just walk into a church. Yeah. Did you guys know this? This is big. Yeah. Um, so then I went up and he's like, Oh, so if you're not, at least at this church, it's like, if you're not confirmed or baptized or whatever, you can like put your hand over your heart. And that's your way of saying like, I opt out. Maybe that's not a thing everywhere. So I did that, but I wasn't expecting them to still touch me. They like bought me on the head and I like (laughs) freaked out. I did not know that was coming. And I like jumped back 10 feet and then I got all out of line. It was going in a line flow and I ruined that. So it was a very informative experience for everyone. You just press on your nose like boop. Yeah. Yeah. The church of boop. It was very unexpected. Um, But yeah, fun culture clashes, everybody. Okay. So back to Woody Allen. Back to Woody Allen. Mm. I learned from deconstructing Harry that Jews don't believe in hell. Yeah, because it's I the part actually, where he goes to hell and Billy Crystal is Satan. Yeah, <laughs> I actually googled this recently. There, there's no consensus. Okay, like there's no consensus among Judaism of what the afterlife is. It's just a big like I don't know, could be whatever. So, all right. But most often, that's just like there's no afterlife. Really, definitely no hell. But yeah, I like it. 
Yeah. <laughs> so as far as filmmakers from that era, I feel like, I mean, Woody Allen is like number one. I feel like Mel Brooks is Mel not Brooks. far behind. Yeah. I was trying to look through his filmography of like films that really like explicitly address it. And it's a little more like coded in just like mannerisms and humor. I'm not the biggest like Mel Brooks scholar. So correct me if I'm wrong here. Are there like more examples where it's more explicit? I mean, I think... Uh, like the producers, just yeah. the the Zero Mostel's character, uh, and then and then I guess in many ways, just based on interviews, just the obsession with Hitler and the Holocaust. Yeah, uh, Mel Brooks, I think, has said just like, "Well, we're Jewish, so obviously, what yeah. else are we going to talk about?" Um, and then I think I don't think you got much of it in like young Frankenstein or blazing saddles. But again, it's that coded thing. Like I feel I mean, like he's yeah. In blazing saddles. Yeah. I think it's again, it's not said. I think it's supposed to be funny that the like small Western town mayor. <laughs> yeah. Is right. a New York Jew. Just, I think that, but it's not yeah. said just like loud, I think. when he plays yogurt in Spaceballs, <laughs> and he's just not, not he's, if anything, he's playing up yeah. his natural cadence. Uh, and then he plays a rabbi in, uh, Robin Hood uh, men in tights mm-hmm. uh, like the Friar Tuck character but he's actually a rabbi so like that one they're actually playing playing it up right. more but but yeah it is it's it's weird like when I think of like entertainers whether they be actors or directors or writers in his in his case all three um, that are sort of uh, identified that way and self-identify that way I think of him but he doesn't he doesn't address it that head on. Right. It's just kind of there. It's just yeah. kind of, like you said, like Neil Simon, like it's just kind of soaked into the humor mm-hmm. and certainly the characters that he plays. Yeah. I think another filmmaker like that, where I was trying to look for kind of more explicit examples and it wasn't quite that way is um, Noah Baumbach. Hmm. Um, with the Myrowitz stories being a more explicit example. But I think also Greenberg too. I mean, his name's Greenberg for crying out loud, but like just kind of, certain mannerisms. I mean, some of his earlier stuff, it isn't there as much. And obviously his collaborations with Wes Anderson, not so much. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed Meyerowitz stories. I think yeah. that was an example of, you know, Adam Sandler doing a good Jewish movie. <laughs> um, but again, yeah, don't knock, you don't mess with the Zohan. In my sorry. Presence. Sorry. With all respect <laughs> to you don't mess with Zohan. I was knocking it crazy. Nice. Right. But, right. Um, but yeah, I also. So, oh, go ahead. Uh, well, I, to, uh, I, I, I want to get more of your personal experiences okay. with these movies because I don't want to treat it as if you were the expert we're having on me as you're speaking for the entire uh, Jewish or Jewish American experience. But I am. Um, what, what I'm saying, like, at what age did you start watching, like, Annie Hall or these Woody Allen movies? And was there. Did you, these things that you're talking about coding in like Mel Brooks movies and Woody Allen mm-hmm. movies, was that something you were aware of right away? Um, or? I think it was older. I like, I started to really get into film in a genuine way. I'd say kind of like second half of high school. Um, and then it was my major in college, but this is going to sound really weird, but I, where I grew up, we had a pretty robust Jewish community. So I didn't really realize how much of a minority Jews were until like college or even later than that, honestly. Um, like, I probably would have guessed it's a higher percentage now had I not looked it up. But, like, 
you know, it's like song Christmas songs would come on the radio and like that time of year. And I'd be like, okay, I get it. I'm left out. But I didn't truly realize like yeah. what a minority it was. So I think I didn't like identify with it as strongly because I was just like, we're everywhere, whatever. Right. Um, but yeah, I think it came into sharper focus later because it was also like, you know, I went to Hebrew school twice a week. I got a bat mitzvah. We did Shabbat. It was felt like it was nonstop. So I was like, I don't care. This doesn't, I'm sick of it, whatever. So only once I had kind of that distance was I able to like kind of take an interest from like a more scholarly perspective, I guess, and more of an identity politics perspective. Because again, I didn't really realize the difference between the religion and ethnicity either. I just thought it was kind of all one thing. So I was just like, uh, enough already. Um, which is a very Jewish exclamation, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I realized. Um, but yeah, so I would say it was probably a, like later on. Okay. Yeah. Um, also, I think um, with the Cohen brothers, that's another one to address. Um, it's both explicit and non-explicit. I was kind of like, you know, looking through their filmography and it kind of is to varying extents. Obviously, A Serious Man is probably the most explicit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I thought A Serious Man was hilarious, not just because it just is, but there's like, there's a running joke in it about the get. I don't know if you remember that, mm-hmm. where like his wife wants a Jewish divorce, the word for which is a get with two T's. But every time she brings it up, no one knows what she's talking about. <laughs> and the reason this was funny to me <laughs> is because, you know, even among Jews that aren't that religious, there's a big emphasis on like, the milestones in your life have to be Jewish. You have to get your kids bar mitzvahed. You have to have a Jewish wedding, Jewish funeral, like all these things. But then like, look, there's a lot of fine print. There's a lot of rules. <laughs> it can be hard to keep track of all the stuff. So there is that dichotomy where like you want to do all the things, but what are they again? <laughs> so I thought that was hilarious. The funniest um, part of a serious man to me is near the end at the bar mitzvah when the guy lifts the Torah up and it's heavy and he goes, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, I can confirm those are heavy and they should not be giving them to preteens to hold. I was so scared of dropping that thing. I remember when I first saw a serious man, I, I had a, a thought that uh, is not one that I usually have. And then thankfully I was able to kind of dismiss it, which is as I was watching, I was just like, this feels anti-Semitic. And then I thought, but it's not my place to say. Like, but, and thought if 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 non-Jewish writers and directors made Barton Fink, they would have come under fire. I think, yeah, for, not but, for Barton and for Lipnitz. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, I mean, is but, the studio head name. The, uh, Lipnick. Yeah, Lipnick. But like the call is coming from inside the house, so it's <laughs> exactly. okay. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point. Is that like when I was looking it up, I'm like, it seems like there aren't maybe as many Jewish movies as I would have thought. But then I'm like, okay, wait. So we've already established that they're a very small minority in the U.S. And probably, you know, directors and writers who aren't Jewish are not going to make movies about the American Jewish experience because they don't feel it's their place. (laughs) So that leaves it up to the Jewish people to do. And there's not a lot of them. So, but yeah. Except in Hollywood. (laughs) Except in Hollywood. But they can do whatever they want, which is great. But it does also, like, do they have a responsibility, you know? Yeah. Because I think also some non-Jewish directors would be scared to depict it even casually for fear of like misstepping, which I totally get. Um, I'll bring up another thing my wife has said uh, about um, Jews in Hollywood. There was that movie, the Richard Gere, Norman, I think it was called, Richard Gere was in, in which 
the it's the Israeli characters are played by Israelis, but pretty much every American Jewish character in the movie is played by a not Jewish person. It's Richard Gere, Steve Buscemi, Dan Stevens. Um, there's more. It's a crazy list. And I was and I remember asking my wife, it was like when stuff like that happens, does it bother you? And she's like, eh, we're not exactly underrepresented in the movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. I remember there is. In a serious man, which I actually now think is just an absolute masterpiece on every level, um, there are like little moments that that were funny to me on principle, but I also it's sort of like when you see people hang out that know each other. It could be a family, and they make a joke, and it's like, okay, I'm la- I see why that's funny, but there's also the tone of it is like. All right, this is deeper than just me finding yeah. it funny. And the idea that when they're talking about Cy Abelman, played by a friend of the show, Fred Melamed, mm-hmm. um, and they're talking about how he's he's now dating uh, this woman after his wife has passed away. She's been she's been dead for three years, but the number of people in the community is like she's barely cold, <laughs> and it's just like that feels. <laughs> That feels specific. That feels like the kind of thing the Coen brothers heard in their yeah. community. That like, no, no, no. You like in in a in a community that is that has a stereotype for like being guilt. And don't get me wrong, I recognize that Catholic and Christian can be too. Right. Maybe religion in general, one could make the argument. Um, but uh, but that idea is like. No, no, no. You need to still be sad. Yeah. You cannot go find happiness. Three. A, a, me- a measly three years yeah. after your wife has died. Yeah. On the point of guilt, when I saw the movie at first, I thought the ending was kind of jarring. And I was like, oh, this is what's going on here. And then I was talking about it with Scott, and he's like, well, it's kind of like a cosmic joke because it's like he does one bad thing and it's a death sentence and then I'm like oh it's Jewish guilt come to life I get it it's like the ultimate manifestation of that Jewish guilt but in like an almost parody way so man that's a good movie it's a good movie also Big Lebowski Walter you know he doesn't roll on Shabbos (laughs) yeah he sure doesn't Um, and I forgot that in that he's a convert he converted for his wife and then they divorced um I looked up some article on it that, like, I will say, if you look into this, Jewish writers are thrilled anytime a mainstream movie, like, makes a legitimate attempt at having Jewish characters. Thrilled. So this article was like, Walter Sobchak is the perfect Jew. And I was like, okay, <laughs> strong thesis. Um, but they were saying, and I don't know if there's, I can't remember if there's, like, a specific line to this effect or this was just their interpretation, but Walter's, like, fairly conservative Jewish Um and they were saying that he misses the regimentation of the military, so he uses Judaism mm-hmm. for that instead. I was like, oh, I mean, it does have a lot of rules, <laughs> a lot of limitations. So, yeah, I mean, I get that. And then, so, one one film that is not mentioned very often just because it's not, it's not a well-known film, but I think it definitely fits, is the David Mamet film Homicide. Have you seen it? I haven't, unfortunately. Uh, it's a wonderful film. Yeah. I love it. It's probably my favorite of his directorial efforts. I don't know. Spartan is Spartan pretty good. Spartan is number two. Um, but yeah, Homicide, is. it stars Joe Mantegna as uh, a, a cop in New York, I believe. Um, and he's Jewish, but he really just kind of runs from it. He tries to play it down where he can because in like this tough, uh, you know, 
department filled with Irishmen and African Americans, like the idea of being Jewish is seen as like a little bit weaker. So he tries to play that down and then he's actually faced with a, he has to investigate a crime that is, uh, anti-Semitic in nature. And so as he's investigating it, he's kind of finding out more about his own heritage and dealing with his own, shame and self-hatred and it's just a fascinating movie and one that you would not have assumed you would never think that it would come out of david mamet except that he also is he is jewish and he kind of felt like that himself for a long time and uh it's a film that i just highly recommend on every level yeah no i it sounded interesting um so you see this is we had you on the show so that we could recommend this like i'm no i'm guilty of it too i'm like oh you gotta watch fiddle on the roof you gotta watch felix and mira i have this whole list okay i have my list i'm not saying like julie uh you really should have seen homicide by now (laughs) like that's not what i was saying i was Mm -hmm. recommending it in general all right Well, now I feel bad. All right. (laughs) No, no, no. I'm just giving you a hard time. Um, Speaking of Jews and law enforcement, great pivot. um, Black Klansman actually gets into that Mm -hmm. as well. Um, Oh, right. The the character that Adam Driver plays in the film is not Jewish in real life. That's something they made up for the movie. Hmm. Um, But I think it works. There's a really powerful scene where he's like, I'm not that religious. I've never really been tasked with, like, confronting my Jewish identity, but now I'm undercover with the KKK and I'm being forced to confront it. Like I never really thought about it until I was around people who wanted me dead. And it's like, Mm. I think that's something a lot of um, kind of just ethnic Jews think about where it's like, you don't really think about it until you're confronted with that hatred. Um, So I thought that was, you know, a good choice to make him Jewish for the movie to kind of contrast him with, um, the other character whose name I can't remember, Ron Stallworth. Ron Stallworth, yeah. Um, also, I'll circle back to that in a second, but another movie from this year, set in the 70s, that parallels the Jewish American experience with the African American experience is If Beale Street Could Talk, which is not out yet, but I saw a screening of it. Um, have you guys seen it yet? I have seen it. Um, there's a scene with Dave Franco as an Orthodox Jew, sure, why not, um, where like the, the central couple, they're trying to rent an apartment, and like no one will rent to them, but he's the only person willing to rent to them because there's kind of just a kinship there of like we're both kind of like minority groups that are oppressed and excluded in this country and kind of reaching across the aisle that way. Sorry, it looked like you'd a point to make. No, oh, okay. Uh, I didn't have a point to make. Oh, okay. I, I I really liked that scene. There was yeah. a, a moment at the beginning of the scene when I was like, Dave Franco, that's yeah. weird. Uh, and it ends up being one of the sort of sweeter yeah. scenes in the movie. Yeah. Um, also, we haven't delved a ton into the Holocaust, I guess, because David didn't want to talk about bummer stuff. It's interesting, though, because I was wondering how much of it... It's supposed to be the holidays. (laughs) But I was wondering how much of it to include, because I'm like, a lot of Holocaust movies don't delve into, like, the Jewish experience. It's like... It's almost its own genre. It's its own genre, yeah. That is separate. I mean, obviously, it's it's a huge part of it, but it's almost separate. It's in a way that the way we... Almost the way we talk about the Holocaust and World War II. Like, of course, they're intermingled, but they couldn't be more different as far as the films themselves. Right. Um, but some some films, like I'd say Schindler's List, like really play into it. Um, play into it. That sounds almost calculating. But yeah. Uh, but yeah so uh, I've, it's probably worth talking about, right? Yeah. I, I just 
picked out a few that I feel like kind of delve more into it. Cause it's also when I was like looking it up, it was like movies about the Jewish experience. It was just like Holocaust movie, Holocaust movie, Holocaust movie. And there's a resistance to be like, okay, well, are we defining this entire group only through tragedy? Right. Um, but I think some spins on that Inglorious bastards. I saw it referred to in many places as a Jewish revenge fantasy. And I was like, I can hang with that. That's yeah. kind of what it is. Especially, you know, um, Melanie LeRon's character, but also Eli Roth's character, yeah. in a way. Um, For the show Paul Rust. That's right. Yeah. One of the bastards. Um, sure. Uh, <laughs> That's what they're called. He, yeah, no, yeah. I know. <laughs> and he is one of them. Yeah. Um, also, Ida, Ida, the movie from oh, yeah. the Polish movie. Um, I'd kind of forgotten about this, but kind of the whole plot is that it was a girl raised in a convent about to become a nun who learns she's Jewish. Um, and there's a part where, you know, someone who knew her family admits that, like, she had a younger brother who was killed because he looked more Jewish than her. Like, he couldn't, he was like an infant or something, but he couldn't pass as non-Jewish, and she could. Which is kind of an interesting thing in the community of, like, passing, because, like, mm -hmm. some people look it and some don't. And it's, like, a, a weird flying under the radar thing. I'd forgotten about that part. Um also, this is more post-war Operation Finale. I know you guys will saw it, right? Yeah. I know you guys weren't huge fans of it. I thought it was decent. But I also thought it was exploring an interesting time in history in terms of, like, the Jewish diaspora and just kind of how fluid everything was. Like, Argentina still has the biggest Jewish community in all of South America. It's, like, sizable. And there were, you know, a ton of Jews that went there after the war. Also a ton of Nazis. I don't quite remember which was first <laughs> i know <it's laughs> neither really makes sense one is very predatory if it's one it's very predatory if it's the other it's like oh boy someone did not get uh, yeah the memo. yeah so i just thought like that was kind of an interesting thing also like in that movie you see nick kroll who's living in israel and he just like sounds like nick kroll and i'm like wait and then i'm like oh Israel had just opened for business. Like, people were coming from all over, yeah. and there was this weird period of time in Israel where, like, anyone could have any accent and look like anything and sound like anything. So I just thought that was kind of an interesting time period to explore. Um, I had to look up the name of the movie, but speaking of the um, Jewish community in Argentina, there was a movie only a couple of years ago called The Tenth Man hmm. that is uh, about uh, an Argentinian uh, Jew who lives in New York who goes back home... Uh, to uh, I think for his father's birthday or something like that and so the entire movie takes place within the Buenos Aires Jewish community it's a really really good movie hmm. and the tenth man refers to the uh, there's a career the minion the, yeah there's a career enthusiasm episode about it too <laughs> yeah so just because this is an auditory medium and you don't know how I'm spelling it minion is M-I-N-Y-N and it refers to there are certain tasks and prayers and things in Judaism that you need a group of a minimum of 10 men to do. <clears throat> so that grouping is called a minion. I'm not sure if the other word comes from that because they right. could arguably be related. I'm not sure, but that's uh, probably yeah, what it is. Yeah. Anyway, so that's another uh, recommendation, mm -hmm. uh, but not, not tongue in cheek. Like seriously, for you, for yeah. the listener, The Tenth Man is a really, really good movie. Um, also, relating more to you know, the fallout of the Holocaust, a movie from, I guess, last year called Denial. I don't know if you guys saw that. It has oh, your girl right. Rachel Weisz in it. Yeah. Uh, all the disobedience, denial. Yeah. She's I mean, she's Jewish, so. Uh, distemper. The favorite. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, uh, so you did not see it. Uh, I did not see Denial. Um, yeah. But you saw it? No. Oh, oh I okay. thought you did. So 
it has an interesting premise. It was a true story because I guess libel laws in the UK are such that I'm going to get this wrong, but it's something like the person who was libeled has to prove. Wait a minute. The person who said the thing that was probably true has to prove they were telling the truth. Okay. And like in the US, it's the other way around, I think. Anyway, it's the reverse of what it is in the US. I'm not explaining okay. it right. So basically what ends up happening is that she plays a history professor and like a Holocaust scholar who gets sued by a Holocaust denier and has to prove that the Holocaust is real. Um, just with the way libel laws work in the UK. Um, so spoiler alert, she does. <laughs> but it's interesting, like she has to build this whole case around it. And Timothy Spall plays the Holocaust denier and he's really good because he's not playing it like this foaming at the mouth crazy. He's like, seems very normal, seems very approachable. And he's like, listen, I don't deny there was a war. I, I just don't think it happened the way you say. And it's like, it's a courtroom drama and it's like, you know, it's not going to knock your socks off, but it was an interesting case and kind of gets into this metaphysical thing of like, how do you prove it happened? Like, yeah. of course it happened, but how do you prove it? Like, so. Yeah, that's. Aside from just being like, well, let me just look over there. Yeah. See that? <laughs> That's the Holocaust. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, I guess it's... Uh... And then what was the... Um... Oh, sorry. I was going to jump ahead. Sorry, go on. Oh, um, Judgment at Nuremberg. I shout out. It's a very yeah. good movie. Yeah. Everyone should see it. Um, also... I guess I realize I my category is called sociopolitical slash historical slash Holocaust. So it's a little little broader. Um, I grouped um, indignation in there from last year. I don't know if either of you saw it. Oh yeah. no, was that last year? That was two years ago, maybe. Yeah, I I saw it at Sundance twenty sixteen. So yeah, okay. two years ago. Um, did you like it? Uh, I did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's basically it's a Philip Roth novel, which I haven't seen a ton of Philip Roth adaptations. I understand they've had a lot of rocky ones. Yeah. I don't know how well a lot of his stuff translates. And I like Philip yeah. Roth. Like I've read his books. I just like the fact that they made a movie out of Portnoy's complaint blows my mind. What's the terrible one with Anthony Hopkins? Anthony Hopkins plays a the mixed human race. Sane? Oh, oh, the human yeah. sane. That's right. Oh. Yeah. He plays uh, an older uh, Wentworth Miller. Yeah, I like I like Wentworth Miller. I like yeah. him as an actor and as a screenwriter. He wrote Stoker. That's right. Yeah. That's so strange. Yeah. <laughs> and but Human Stain has that fun monologue where... <laughs> is fun the right word? <laughs> well, <laughs> anything with that movie? Well, it's just uh, Nicole Kidman is like talking to like a, like a crow or a parrot or something and it keeps cutting back to it. <laughs> and so it's like looking... Like reaction shots. Like, yeah. And they're... They don't have, like, they have a creepy look to them, of course, but when you're just looking at one, its head is just kind of going all over the place, so it just looks like, it looks even crazier than it is, because it's like, on top of everything else, this crow isn't even paying attention. <laughs> the audacity. Um, well, Indignation, I think they were smart to adapt, um, a way more low-key Philip Roth book. It's set in the 50s. Um, it's about a college student at a predominantly non-Jewish college and kind of the struggles he comes up against with and kind of the main centerpiece. But it's not just non It's specifically a Christian school, isn't it? Yes, yeah. you're right. But there is a Jewish fraternity, so there's okay. a few Jewish students. But um, I know Tracy Letts is not just the dean. He's also like right. a, a, so, yeah. a holy roller. He's also a member. Yeah. What's that? He's also a member. 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but yeah, the, there's a big scene that lasts, I don't know, 15 minutes yeah. or something that's just him going back and forth with the dean about like why he doesn't feel like he needs to go to chapel or something. Yeah. And it's it's basically just kind of like putting the idea of religion on trial and like some people did not care for that scene, but I was into it. It's such a great scene. Yeah. I love that scene because the kid is our protagonist and Tracy mm-hmm. Letts' character is an asshole. Yeah. So we're going into that scene we know who we're rooting for. Right. And Tracy Letts remains an asshole the entire time, but he's the one who's making the better arguments and staying calm and not lying. And right. Like he, he's the more persuasive and it's just a lesson in, uh, maturity, I guess. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. He's an asshole, but also he's got 25, 30 years of academia on you yeah. and you're not going to beat him just by being right and being an asshole or being uh, smug about it. Uh, it's a great, great scene. Yeah. And a good movie, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it. Um, it's the last movie I saw at that Sundance. I went straight from there to the airport. You're like, I've seen it all. I can leave. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not going to do better than this. Yeah. Um, the last one I have on my, this, <laughs> uh, it's, someone else is in the room. Uh, one of, one of Tyler's cats just gave me a funny look. <laughs> uh, the last one I have on this section, did any of you see uh, three identical strangers? Yes. Yeah. So I don't want to spoil this movie. It is very important not to spoil this movie. All I will say is that the things that happened to the triplets in this movie would not have happened if they weren't Jewish. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair to say. Just because a lot of crazy shit happens to them, and I think it's because the powers that be, you know, went to a Jewish orphanage and considered them less than. Mm. Like, they would not try this shit on wasp babies. That's all I'm going to say about that. Do you feel like that's a fair assessment? Seems fair to me, Yeah. Yeah. One thing that's fascinating about the movie is that you could you could stop like anywhere, let's say after about an hour, mm-hmm. you could stop and people are like, holy shit. Yeah. And you're like, no, no, we're still going. Yeah. And then like, oh, oh my gosh, that's amazing. No, we still got like 30 more minutes. Yeah. Uh, like any one of the twists or reveals could be like the big spoilers. Like, no, no, there's still like five of them. Yeah. It's And that's one of the things that I love about the movie is that it's just... For a moment, I thought that it was starting to like lose focus, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Wow, well, you're kind of trying to be about everything." It's like, "Yeah, everything happened." <laughs> yeah. So just be okay with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love that movie, they and that's and that's a good that's a good point. Something I didn't yeah. think about. They time. sold the narrative rights, so there's going to be yeah. a non-documentary remake. I don't know what you would call. I'm that. sure they'll probably fuck it up. Yeah, probably. Um, good, uh, good, uh, <laughs> good acting showcase for whoever plays uh, all three brothers. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Is I was like, this guy. Well, the three of them, they were like six five and like extremely Jewish looking. And like, who is that in Hollywood? <laughs> and then I was like, you know what? The only option we have is to invent a time machine and get seventies Elliot Gould. I can think of no <laughs> other option. Um, we could de-age him, right? Now, I guess. Yeah, Marvel style. <laughs> that's that's this the best option I have. Um, uh, but also the movie might never get made because remember they were going to make a movie like a narrative version of the uh, the King of Kong a fistful of quarters oh yeah which yeah. Is, well it's uh, definitely not going to happen now there is an unauthorized yeah. musical I saw which is very funny yeah it has um, a woman playing I, th- I think it's women playing both roles actually um, it's it's quite funny Billy Mitchell and Steve Weeby yeah. Okay. <laughs> I just are you just se- name dropping or what? Se- I often say, and 
honestly, truthfully say that I will forget character names by the time I leave the theater mm-hmm. in a lot of right. cases, but I know Billy Mitchell and Steve Weave. Okay. I'm sure they'd be very <laughs> flattered to hear that. Um, pivoting out of my kind of historical thing, I just have some kind of miscellaneous 90s, 2000s stuff that couldn't really fit in anywhere else. Um, Clueless, Cher Horowitz is Jewish. That's right. That last name isn't for no reason. <laughs> yeah, um, but her father is played by Dan Hedaya. Who is Jewish in real life. Is he? Okay. Mm-hmm. I think of him as being Italian-American because Hedaya just seems... I mean, he might Italian. also be that, but yeah. he's at least yeah. part Jewish. Yeah, you could be um, both. Some people it's were true. saying, like, I don't know if this is true, but they're like, this might be the first depiction of, like, you know, a Jewish teenager as, like, a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, hip Beverly <laughs> Hills girl. I don't know. But, you know, new kind of Jewish heroine. I can hang with it. Whatever. Um... Keeping the Faith? Did anyone see Keeping the Faith? I did, yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember liking that. I think it was, like, fine. It's, okay. a, it's a very pleasant little film. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of it. Yeah, it's a, a rabbi and a priest are in love with the same woman. Mm-hmm. And given the restrictions on who of those can be with a woman, I'll let you figure out how it ends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's Jenna Elfman, right? Yeah. She's a real charmer. Jenna Elfman. Yeah, real Scientologist, too. Yeah. yeah. Edward She's Norton directed that film. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he did. At the uh, suggestion of Warren Beatty. That's a story that I, that uh, I kind Norton of feel like everything in Hollywood was at the suggestion of Warren Beatty. <laughs> just him walking, he's just walking down the street, be like, you know what you should do? And people listen. Yeah, and they listen. Do you think, this has nothing to do with anything, do you think people who are named Warren... Do you ever once in, every once in a while someone mentions the novel War and Peace and their ears perk up for a second and then they're like, oh, it's not about me. <laughs> <laughs> Has this kept you up at night or? Because I think every time someone says the name Warren, I expect the word peace to be next. <laughs> so every but mention of na- Warren Beatty has been an utter shock to you. It just puts me in mind of. You know what it makes me think is I I should read War and Peace. <laughs> I've never read War and Peace. So you're. So because you think that, you think like, okay, looking at it from, you know, looking through the looking glass the other way, if your name is Warren, it's disappointment going a different way. Yeah, exactly. I'm not saying I'm disappointed you're not talking about War and Peace. I'm just mad at myself for never having read it. Okay, got it. Got it. Maybe this is the fact that my never having read War and Peace is a constant weight on my mind. Yes. (laughs) So it's, I'm always thinking about that. But then you're going to read it. You'll love it. And you'll be like, why aren't more people talking about this? Why are they all talking about this Warren Beatty asshole? (laughs) Yeah. Or this Oates guy. Oh yeah. Or this commission. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. What Um, else? This is one of the dumbest conversations (laughs) we've ever had on this show. So, you might not know it, and I don't know that I picked up on it the first time, but Wet Hot American Summer takes place at a Jewish camp. Oh, that's um, right. I definitely noticed. That there's the whole scene where Ginny Grappo is calling roll. Oh, yeah. And at one point is clearly just making up Jewish sounding yeah. names. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think to set this at specifically a Jewish sleepaway camp was a choice because growing up, you know, I had friends of all different kinds who went to sleepaway camps and the stories from the ones who went to the Jewish sleepaway camps were the craziest. It seems like those camps were the horniest, were the wildest, <laughs> like just in anecdotal evidence. So I think setting it there was a yeah. choice. Well, also, I mean, you've got David Wayne directing. Right. Uh, who's that is a milieu. I don't know if you ever watched Children's Hospital. Yes. Which he created. Yeah. But he had a recurring character that he played on there. Do you remember the character's name? It I was don't. Rabbi Jewie McJuju. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> really leaning into it. Yeah. So that's, that's clearly a, an area he's comfortable in. <laughs> yeah. Yep. For sure. Um, American Splendor. Uh, Harvey oh, yeah. and Joyce Picar are Jewish. Yeah. Um, they talk to each other in a really blunt way, which I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's another kind of culture clash thing is I think Scott was maybe a little startled the first time he saw me around my family and just how we talk to each other. Just, we just say whatever we're thinking and it's, you know, it's different if you're not used to it, but yeah. you know, I think he's adapted. Do you think it's going back to so earlier you were talking about, um, uh, Jews and Irish uh, mm-hmm. people being on a similar level, but I feel like in terms of the way they're depicted in cinema, Jews and Italian Americans, there's a whole lot of yes. overlap. Because yeah. when I think of, uh, you were just talking about a family being very blunt with one another. Uh, one of my favorite romantic comedies of all time is Moonstruck, which mm-hmm. is about an Italian American family. But they, that's very much how like that, that you oh, just yeah. summed up their entire relationship. And of course, but written by, to, but written by someone with the last name Shanley. Um, which is interesting. Uh, which is a, a, Irish, a, yeah. Irish, but yeah. directed by Norman Jewison. Oh man, there's a lot going on here. Yeah. Um, I was, but uh, yeah. I, I, real quick, uh, and I will remind you that Tony Soprano said that Italians are just used with better food. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's never had latkes then, I guess. But yeah, I was trying to kind of think of what the connective tissue is because I was like, yeah, it's like all Europeans are like, and then I'm like, that's not right. And then I'm like, okay, well, all people speaking romance, I'm like, that's not it. And then I'm like, well, because it's also people in like Latin America are sometimes described as having this dynamic in their families. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what it is. I think it's like Jewish people, Italians, Latin America, Greeks. I don't know the connective tissue. No, I think the connective tissue is the you're normal. It's the it's the reserved stick up their ass ass wasps okay <laughs> that that are different but they're okay. just the dominant here okay. but i think worldwide the weird thing of you know families not being open with one another which is this is something that i'm not casting aspersions even though i'm not a wasp my family is very not not like that right. um i i think that maybe is more common in america but worldwide i think this uh, boisterous, you I mean, know, I think maybe the continent of Asia would disagree with you. That's probably true. Okay, so in terms of population, <coughs> yes, because there's a lot of people right. there. But in terms of geography, okay, you know, geographic right. and region specific, right? I think more families probably behave in this uh, uh, gregarious, open, and blunt way. Yeah as opposed to the reserved way that we think of as more, I don't know, couth, when actually it's just emotionally unhealthy. <laughs> I mean, you know, different strokes for different folks, I guess, but yeah. I yeah. Um, I also just want to point out that the Hebrew hammer exists. I never saw it, but right. it exists, and that's that, I guess. <laughs> have you seen it? I have no. not seen it. No. Yeah. Um, that's Adam, Adam Goldberg, mm-hmm. yeah. but not the Adam Goldberg who created the TV series, the Goldbergs. And when I say the TV series, the Goldbergs, I'm talking about the current one, right. not the one from the 1950s. Right. And it is also not to be confused with the film, the hammer starring Adam Carolla based on his own experiences as a, as a fighter. Right. So I forgot about that. movie. a lot going on here with these hammers and Adams. Yeah. A lot going on. Um, yeah, maybe I should see it. I don't know. Maybe it's good. It's just, it's kind of amazing that it exists. <laughs> yeah. Um, also life during wartime 
um, kind of centers around a bar mitzvah, even though I double checked and in Happiness, which is a pseudo sequel to in that it's the same characters with an entirely different cast, there's no mention of them being Jewish. (laughs) Unless I just, the wiki was not detailed enough or something, but there's very much a bar mitzvah happening in Life during wartime, so I don't know. Um, but uh, certainly the um, the Wiener family, uh, Don Don Wiener from mm-hmm. Welcome to the Dollhouse, uh, and they also I think that family also shows up in Palindromes. Maybe am I am I wrong about that? Maybe. Um, I, I think they do. Um, they're it's part of the Todd Solon cinematic universe. <laughs> really, he really does have a cinematic because I think he killed off Don Wiener at one point, and then but then she's in like she shows up in different. Um, um, yeah. Uh, and then of course in the, in, in Wiener dog, mm-hmm. the, um, the, the, the mean kid from welcome to the Dollhouse. Uh, wow. <laughs> again, I did different, not know different, that I it think it's Kieran Culkin or whatever in Wiener dog, maybe not, uh, uh, Brennan section, the third, right. Um, but yes, no, there really is a Todd Zellens universe. Yeah. It's not entirely consistent with who is alive and who's dead, but different characters show up. It's fascinating. Uh, Maybe it's uh, alternate universes where, you know, somebody dies in one, but they're still alive in the other just because, uh, you know, a butterfly or something. Sure. Um, And then one more thing that doesn't, didn't really know where to fit it in, but the Vulcan salute um, has its origins in Orthodox Jewish prayer. Hmm. Um, So, you know, Sorry. <laughs> no, I was right. Greta Gerwig plays Don Wiener, Heather, Heather Matarazzo's character from Welcome to the Dollhouse in Wiener Dog, even though I think it's palindromes where it's mentioned that she committed suicide oh, in between. So they, he, he brought her back to life uh, so that Greta Gerwig could play her. I'm sorry. I All cut right. you off. No but problem. I was like, I had to figure it out. Okay. Sorry. Um, but yeah, so uh, Leonard Nimoy is Jewish and he was attending Orthodox services with his grandfather. And there is a prayer they do where it's basically... Um, this is not going to work in an auditory medium, but it's a Vulcan salute with both hands and your thumbs are touching. So um, everybody do it at home. Yeah. Okay. So that's a prayer because it's similar to the Hebrew letter Shin and you're basically doing it twice. So he saw that and thought it was really cool. So then years later when he was cast as Spock and they were like, what if Spock had a special little thing or whatever? He's like, have I got something for you? So he just did it with one hand hmm. and that was a little, little tribute to his origins there. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay, so we haven't talked about Munich yet. Well, we're going chronologically. Are we so going I, figured, chronologically? I figured we were coming up on Munich. Oh, I wasn't okay. sure where we um, were in the in the notes. So, <laughs> I haven't seen Munich. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. I'm so sorry. Okay. Um, I keep meaning to. I really do. I promise. It's uh, wonderful. I know. It's an absolute masterpiece. It might be like a top five Spielberg movie for me. That's um, right here. But I'm gonna dance on the edge of repeat, just repeating dialogue from knocked up. But you talked about with like homicide and operation finale. Like it's pretty rare for Jewish guys in movies to be the tough guys, to be the badasses. Right. Yeah. Obviously there's the Zohan, but, uh, right, right, of course. Outlier. yes. Of course. Um, uh, but they had that whole conversation in knocked up about yeah. how, like, uh, how, how exciting that was and how it might help them get laid. Yeah. I think it's <laughs> like, if any of us are getting laid tonight, we have Eric Bana to thank or <laughs> something right, like yeah. that. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good movie. It's uh, knocked it, up. Uh, yeah. Knocked <laughs> up is a good movie. Knocked up is probably my favorite Judd Apatow movie. Yeah. Something I can't unthink of in regards to Munich is I worked at a video store in college and my boss there told me that she used to work at Blockbuster 
and she had a customer come in one time around the time that Munich came out on DVD and said, do you guys have that movie Munchie? <laughs> <laughs> and I can't unthink of that. I can't. Oh, I <laughs> Wasn't Munchie like an 80s like uh, creature comedy or something like that? I don't know. Or a porno? I don't know. Sure, like, absolutely. Yeah. So oh, I haven't well. seen it, but that's just something so I So the person that's wanted funny. to see Munich. I, yes. Like, they looked at the at the box and they thought this is a movie I want to see, and maybe they read the back and they thought, "Wow, this sounds really complex. I really, I definitely want to see this movie, which is obviously called Munchie. <laughs> There's no question about. It. Didn't question it at all. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, uh, yeah, I never had. Uh, I had a customer at a video store ask for Mistake River, uh, <laughs> which I thought was very funny. <laughs> Uh, I I had when I worked at Blockbuster the film Layer Cake where the A in layer is spelled with it has a four so it's uh, he said do you have La Foyer Cake (laughs) that's a that's a good name I'd watch that that's a French movie yeah exactly (laughs) it's about a cake and try to guess where it is the thing I remember is just people always wanting to pluralize movie titles Mm. like yeah. you have beautiful minds or, or castaways <laughs> or like it was there can only be one <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my theory because you know working in a video store is that if a title is longer than two words it people aren't going to get it right two words is the max number okay. that people will consistently get correct um oh, my, yeah. i um this is the opposite i was the customer but i was in the right i went to the <laughs> i went to the uh, amc river east in chicago oh, yeah. and i said one for eternal sunshine of the spotless mind please and he was like what and I was like, eternal sunshine is about his mind. And he looked at me and was like, oh, eternal? But like, as far as he, he had not started, he had stopped reading after the first word. And apparently he just did not recognize that that was the movie that I was talking about. Yeah. I worked at a video store when Oh Brother, Where Art Thou came out. Oh, that's uh, a long one. Forget yeah, it. And I worked. Oh, and and was, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Oh, boy. Uh, I was there that time. That was a tough one for people, people yeah. to remember. I had so many people... It's weird. I don't know if like word got out that the the actual title for Oh Brother Where Art Thou is quite simply Oh Dear Brother. <laughs> but the number of people asking for that it was weird. It was very strange. I feel like did it was in southern Missouri, it's like did did a pastor of one church say, I just saw this movie called Oh Dear Brother and, and everyone just like, Oh, that's the name, got it. Yeah. Because <laughs> everybody must have heard it at the exact same time. It was yeah. very strange. My favorite recent example of this, overheard at a screening. Um, the title Crazy Rich Asians. It's three words, it's not hard, but this guy at screening thought it was crazy Asian women. <laughs> 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 the person he was with corrected him very quickly. Oh. Wow. That's a real uh, hidden fences yeah. type of deal. Um, now, real, uh, real quick, one film going way back mm-hmm. is uh, The Golem. Yeah. Uh, for, uh, silent film, um, expressionistic in nature, right. and I love it. And it's, it's fascinating. You don't think that... Uh, you don't associate like the twenties with oh we're really gonna dig into uh, like Jewish uh, mythology and that sort of thing, um, but between that and something like the jazz singer, which is mm-hmm. not it's not necessarily mythology or anything like that, but uh, it's like oh okay was I guess maybe were they more op- were they more open to exploring this in the silent era? Um, yes, okay. I, I did look into this a bit, and there was actually also a pretty robust Yiddish cinema. Um, hmm. 
uh, industry in Eastern Europe too. So a lot of those films are actually preserved by Steven Spielberg. He put a bunch of money nice. in so you can watch them on YouTube, which is pretty cool. Um, awesome. But the prevalent theory I heard, because there actually were a lot of like movies in the 20s, particularly about... Jewish families, often focusing on women, living in the tenements of New York. That was like a genre. And there's like a surprising number of films like that. There, a lot of them are lost or they're hard to find, but it was like a genre. Um, the theory is that as Hollywood kind of took shape and then also as the Depression hit, people got more racist. Because <laughs> oh. when you're poor and you're mad, sure. you're going to be more racist as you know, history shows. So there was kind of a pivot where we're like, people were like, me, maybe shouldn't be focusing on immigrant stories as much. We should just have these, you know, more all American people up on the screen and these more perceivedly universal stories. Um, But there, it was a bit of a thing in the silent era. You're right. Which it, it did kind of disappear. And like, you know, also, all the studio heads, the Jewish studio heads that came over in the 20s were more assimilated by then. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, even around World War II, a lot of Jews were like, we're American first because they were right. trying to assimilate. And that was the thing they really foregrounded. And also, you know, these studio heads wanted to make money. So they mm-hmm. didn't want to alienate audiences, even though, who knows, it might have worked out. But they didn't do that. Yeah. All right. Uh, I've never seen the Gollum. Oh, it's great. Okay. And yeah. it's Gollum. Right. Gollum is, is from Lord of the Rings. From Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Right. Isn't that the, the thing they're talking about at the beginning of A Serious Man, too? Uh, the Dybbuk, I think, oh, is what yeah. they're talking about Oh, yeah. You're right. Now. I'm confusing my Jewish mythology. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> oh, just, well. You can just ask me. That's true. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll consult I'll, you I'll on let you know. all matters Jewish mythology. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> As a um, Protestant, I feel like I get it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, what else? Um, that's kind of, I mean, I have bits and pieces. I, well, something I mentioned on the wedding episode I did was an Israeli movie called The Wedding Plan. Um, directed by Rama Burstein. Yes. Who also made Fill the Void, which I saw. That's why I'm bringing it up. I didn't see The Wedding Plan, but I want (laughs) to be like, I saw a different movie. (laughs) Yes. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because, you know, it's about a woman who desperately wants to get married. And obviously you're like, oh, well, it's Israel. So she should be able to meet a nice Jewish man. The problem there is that she can't meet a Jewish man who matches her level of adherence. She meets men that are too conservative. She meets ones that aren't conservative enough. There's a super dreamy rock star who's really into her. And she's like, is he Jewish enough? I'm like, girl, does it matter? (laughs) Um, But I thought that was interesting. That's like, even in Israel, you know, they can't like figure it out. I don't know. But it's a good movie. Yeah. Did you see Phil the Void? I did. (laughs) Because that's kind of the opposite. It's about a girl who really doesn't want to get married, Mm. but she's being forced to marry her older sister's husband because her older sister died. Right. She's filling the void. Right. Uh, yeah, pretty fucked up. Yeah, uh, there is a film that I saw when I was uh, younger uh, called Unstrung Heroes, starring uh, directed by Diane Keaton. I didn't know that until I just oh. looked it up. Uh, starring Andy McDowell, John Turturro, Michael Richards, and show favorite Maury Chaykin. Hmm. Um, and it's uh, and it's based on a on a book uh, that this guy wrote about his family and like being a kid growing up in. Uh, a Jewish family with some very like with, with his eccentric uncles played by Michael Richards. And I think the other was more Jacob. Um, and I remember uh, it was 95. I think I watched it with my parents uh, on videos. I don't know why on earth a 13 year old would be interested in that, but it did definitely, it struck me as 
like these weren't the the eccentricities of these characters was very much rooted in like their Jewish culture. It's like the way that they the way that they express their Judaism was like one of the things that because it's told from the point of view of like a little kid. Uh, he's looking and just is kind of mystified by the stuff that's important to them and the stuff that isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's uh I cannot speak to it being a good movie or not. I remember thinking it was pretty good at the time and sure. it was inter- entertaining and that sort of thing. And Hey Kramer. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that's, that's another one that is, that is actually like based on a true story and autobiographical and that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Jewish people are well known for their certain brand of humor and I think mm-hmm. it was developed as a defense mechanism. Sure. <laughs> you know, I think, it's very self-deprecating, very kind of reflexive and um, very similar in a lot of Jewish people. But I think it's it started as a defense mechanism. You wanted to make people laugh so they wouldn't hate you, I guess. But it's just kind of it's embedded in the genetically distinct DNA. Yeah, there was a, there was a documentary, the name of which escapes me now, but it was and it was actually wasn't that great. But it was about the Borscht Belt uh, yeah. uh, comedy uh, boom uh, several decades ago and that it was just so rooted in I mean it was it was like a vacation area for often like New York Jews and that's oh. where a lot of the that's where like a lot of the comedians came from and then they moved on to other things and it just kind of died out but it was or but, did it or well yeah it's um, and so, but the 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 comedians interviewed for the documentary say very clearly like yeah this is there's a very specific brand of humor that you cannot like when you watch Kirby enthusiasm or Mel Brooks or Woody Allen, like there's just a very specific, almost a comedy cadence, yeah. uh, even w- with non-Jewish characters, it's just there. Like you were saying with the Costanzas with Seinfeld, <laughs> it's just, it's just there. And it came out of this. And I think, and somebody said like, it's fascinating that it got bigger than that, that actually yeah. became, very popular in many ways. Um, that reminds me, I'm glad you mentioned the, uh, like the Catskills or the kind of, mm-hmm. um, uh, vacationary because, uh, dirty dancing is a movie that, yeah. uh, takes place. Uh, and that it, it's not really, uh, made that blatant. I don't think, but it is a Jewish summer, uh, vacation resort, uh, because it was the early 1960s and there were probably a lot of places like that where you couldn't go if you were Jewish. So yeah. this was the Jewish one. Um, yeah, I like that movie. Have you seen Dirty Dancing? <laughs> I haven't. I knew it. I knew it. I, I told you, I've been, you know, for so long I was just steeped in it and I was like, I'm sick of it. But now I'm approaching it from a scholarly perspective. Also, I was talking about this recently. A lot of Dirty Dancing fans are very annoying and it sure. makes you like. But you know what? No, but listen, but I get it. you know it. what else that's true of? Everything. A lot of things. A lot. Of, I know. I know. <laughs> I know. But it can, you have to like get past it. I get it, though. I get it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the documentary is called When Comedy Went to School. Like I said, it adds a documentary, which is very straightforward. But they interview a lot of really notable people like Jerry Lewis, Sid Caesar, Jackie Mason, Larry King, Mort Saul, Jerry Stiller. Like, it's, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And they've got... And I just wish that it had, like interviewed them but like it's narrated it's uh, narrated by robert klein but he did not write the narration it's really cheesy and mm. yeah very mediocre but interesting nonetheless well 
Happy Hanukkah, guys. Indeed. Yes. This was a lot of fun. We will have to have you back in a month or so for Two Bitch Fought. Are you just, you're showing off right now. <laughs> I went to um, the, uh, I've, well, I've been to the Skirball Center many times. They show movies there, but it's a sort of a, a museum. You know what the Skirball Center is, but for the listeners, it's a museum here in Los Angeles uh, that is um, specifically a Jewish cultural center and museum. And the gift shop is one of my favorite places uh, to, to shop for stuff. And they have, I, they have like specific like kids books about tubish fat. That's where I learned what tubish fat is, which is like, I don't know, Jewish Arbor day. It is. That's how I describe it to people. I'm like, did you know there's a Jewish Arbor day? <laughs> yeah. It's just a Jewish uh, holiday. That's like, aren't trees great? Yeah. And, um, the fact that there was a whole kid's book about tubish fat. And then I like looked it up on YouTube and there's like Wait, a tubish fat song. It's like in January though. Yeah. When all the trees are dead. <laughs> I just looked it up to be sure. Um, Tubishvat. Oh shit! I, I guess the trees um, probably look great in Israel. You know, so, Mediterranean okay, climate Jewish and all. Holidays start at sundown. It starts sundown January twentieth uh, in twenty nineteen. All right. Um, Better do my Tubishvat shopping, I guess. Anyway, so I, yeah, there was a brief period there where I was really tickled by the fact that there's a Jewish Arbor Day. Yeah. <laughs> and it has a, a name that's really fun to say. Do you, do you know about Purim? I uh, hope you're sitting down for Purim. I, I know of it. I know. Uh, here's what I specifically, uh, in the Christopher Guest movie, for your consideration, right. mm-hmm. the movie Home for Purim. Purim. I don't know. I can't even say it right. Yeah. Uh, well, it's kind of like Jewish Halloween. Oh, okay. Nice. Um, everybody like parties real hard and gets dressed up in costumes. And what time of year is it? Um, that's a good question. I want to say like March or April. Wait a minute. Yeah. Something like that. Um, yeah, it's like, yeah. Uh, Mar- Wednesday, March 20th. Yeah. So it's basically, it'll be in 2019. it celebrates the time that this guy did not wipe out the Jewish race with genocide. Um, yeah. It, I don't know. That cat's still making all these funny faces <laughs> over there. But yeah. It's so they also you dress up and you tell the story of it and my temple this sounds made up but it's true my temple would do a thing every year called a Purim spiel which is a real thing where they'd tell the story of Purim but because my temple was kind of like hip it was like kind of a buddy Christ situation (laughs) um we would like reverse engineer the story of Purim into a pop culture thing so I was in it one year and it was the Wizard of Oys. <laughs> <laughs> and I was one of the Menchkins. <laughs> so we did that. We did another one another year that was all Beatles themed. So they changed like lyrics of all the Beatles songs. Um, so until like high school, I didn't realize that the lyrics of Obladi Oblada were not La La Jewish Life Goes On. <laughs> So that's Purim. Uh, all right. Well, we'll have you back for Two Bishvat and for sure. Purim. Yep. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about tree movies. Yep. Um, thank you for uh, for coming. This was yeah, a lot of fun. Thanks um, for having me. You guys at home can find us at battleshipretention.com. Email us at david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretension.com. Follow me, David, on Twitter at davypretension. Follow Tyler at tylerpretension. Anything going on at More Than One Lesson this week that you want to plug uh as far as the podcast itself no it's still kind of on an unofficial break uh but there are a lot of uh we're catching up on episodes of uh the fear of god lots of good stuff happening there josh reviewed uh the long dumb road uh 
oh. with uh, Jason Manzukas. And so, yeah, there's stuff that you can read and listen to, but uh, not my specific podcast. Great. Uh, and Julie, what do you want people to know about you? Um, I'm the editor for the American Cinematheque blog. It's a great nonprofit here in LA. Um, it's moviesonthebigscreen.blogspot.com. Um, if there's a typo, I got lazy and I apologize, but for the most part, I try to keep things on the up and up. Uh, all right. Well, thanks again. Yeah. Thanks. Happy for Hanukkah. Me. Yeah. Same to you. And L'chaim. Uh, thank you at home for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.